So this morning I would like to offer a few avenues of possibility for working with the body uh, in our life, in our meditative life, how we can work with the body. probably actually just say, uh, do forgive me if I'm a little less energetic than usual. I've got a bit of a, uh, some kind of illness I'm struggling to shake off, so forgive me. There are actually many possible approaches to insight meditation, and they're all valid. One of the favorite uh, ways the Buddha had of speaking about it was to develop some degree of calmness and then he said then take up one's theme to take up one's theme so typically a meditator uh, works with the breath or the metta practice some practice to still the mind, to develop a kind of anchor for consciousness, develop some degree of calmness, and then uses that to venture out in a deliberate way to explore certain uh, themes, certain areas of experience. And so many of you will be doing just this, uh, using the breath as an anchor and venturing out. And sometimes that venturing out is because something is calling to the attention. Uh, It's very insistent on consciousness. And so one leaves the breath or leaves the metta practice, whatever it is one's using as an anchor, and goes out to explore something else because it's calling, because it's pulling on the consciousness. Uh, There's also another way which is more deliberate. Develop the calmness and then deliberately explore certain areas, certain themes. When the Buddha talks about that, he talks about uh, many, many themes to explore. Some of them are, the four of them, are the four foundations of mindfulness. And we'll be going over this. And so the first one is what I want to talk about today, uh, the body. Mindfulness of the body, working with the body. So why, why these four foundations of mindfulness, the body, the feelings, the, the mind and the heart, and, and uh, the teachings, the qualities of mind? Why? Why is the Buddha saying pay particular attention to that? Part of it is because these are areas, these are the very areas where we tend to struggle, where we tend to suffer. We get into a wrong relationship with these particular areas and suffering is born of that. So we can see in relation to our body, we can ask ourselves, it's a very important, real question to ask ourselves, how much am I fighting my body? So, generally speaking, over one's life, but also at at any moment, how much am I fighting my body? The way it looks, the way it appears, am I okay with that? Deeply, genuinely. The way it feels, am I fighting the way my body feels? When there's discomfort, when there's pain, am I fighting with it? in the process of aging and all that that brings in, in, in the way we appear and the way we feel. Am I fighting it? 
and death, this body dies, this body dies. And on one level, of course, our body is, we could say, our home for this life. Everything we experience is kind of centered around this body. It's our home. Are we taking care of our relationship with that? In a way, it has to be right because we carry it around with us all the time. So what is the relationship with the body, generally speaking, or at any time? Is it a relationship of connection? Am I connecting with the body or am I disconnected? Sometimes these are not easy questions. Am I connected or am I disconnected? Is there aversion or is there respect? Is there a sense of wonder, of awe even, this miracle of a body? Is there care? Are we really, genuinely, deeply caring for our body? Is there love running through that relationship? Kindness? Or are we putting pressure on our body? In all kinds of ways that that's possible. Myriad ways it's possible for a human being to put uh, a very unkind pressure on the body. Are we relating to the actuality of the body? Or are we relating to the image of how we think it should be or how we want it to to be in the eyes of others? There's there's a beautiful quote from Tsongkhapa. um, Some of you will know he's a a 14th century, one of the great uh, Tibetan yogis and teachers. He says, The human body at peace with itself is more precious than the rarest gem cherish your body it is yours this one time only the human form is one with difficulty it is easy to lose he continues all worldly things are brief like lightning in the sky this life you must know as a tiny splash of a raindrop a thing of beauty that disappears even as it comes into being. Therefore, set your goal and make use of every day and night to attain it. So how can we come into a healthy, a kind, a liberated relationship with the body? And the Buddha talks a lot about this. And the first, the first piece of it is, he says, "See the body in the body." It's a curious phrase. You can also translate it: "See the body as the body." So typically, we don't see the body in the body. We see self-view in the body, or self-worth in the body, or in the body of another. A bit fat, or you know, whatever it is. Uh, we 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 judge another and we judge ourselves we see the self view and the self worth and we start comparing we see self in the body and not body in the body we don't see body as body so right off the bat the buddha is saying can we move into a mode of awareness mindfulness that sees body as body can we that's the foundation of our mindfulness practice and the more we can begin to do that the more there is a sense of relief how much suffering in this life comes from not seeing body as body but from seeing self-worth in the body 
caught up in this comparing and judging and and our whole our very view of ourselves is wrapped up in in the image we have of our body in relation to some other images and a huge relief of just putting that down and practicing a mode of seeing that's different seeing the body in the body There are other reasons, of course, why, why mindfulness of the body is the first foundation of mindfulness. is very important. The body is also a kind of mirror. It's a mirror for the mind and the heart. And so we can see in practice how our emotions, our thoughts, our intentions are all actually reflected in the body. Some of them very clearly, some of them very subtly. And we can begin to be sensitive to that. Actually, I, I think meditation is very physical in, in this sense. Something about it is very very grounded in the body. It's very um, connected with the body. Everything is reflected there. So our emotions are reflected in the body, and we can see this, certainly with anger and fear, how we feel that, all, all emotions. And there's a lot of talk these days about how emotions affect the body, and there's definitely some truth in that, but just slight aside, how this can be taken up in certain New Age philosophies, etc., as a kind of unquestioned assumption. And particularly if people have illnesses which Western medicine hasn't yet found a cure for or, or, or solved. Then in come all the theories, oh, you're repressing your da-da-da-da-da emotions. And maybe there's some truth to that, but how much it can go over the top. And certainly people who suffer from chronic illnesses know how much blame there can be, end up blaming themselves. What am I not opening to? Why am I so repressed, etc.? So, please, I think we should all be very careful in this area. Certainly the emotions affect the body, but likewise, and this is very common in Dharma, it works the other way. The body affects the emotions. You can see this if you just play with the breath a little bit. Get the breath to really be long or, or, or very subtle and, and smooth. How the emotions are affected by it. It's two-way causal pathway. Sometimes when we're very low energy in the body, that's a, a soil for certain negative emotions, for certain difficult emotions. And with low physical energy, how much we are prey then to feelings of depression or grief or, or irritability, whatever it is. And this can cycle. So something like grief, and it may be a genuine grief, that's there. It's actually quite tiring. Grief is a very tiring feeling. The energy, the physical energy gets low, and then we're prey to more grief, and it just spins its wheels like that. So causality often works two ways, and not to get too fixed on a, a sort of very, uh, in a way, naive notion of cause and effect. Anyway, Buddha outlines many, many uh, possibilities, possible meditations for working with the body. The most common one in insight meditation is this bare attention. So that's. B-A-R-E, not B-E-A-R. Bear attention to the experiences, the sensations of the body. Uh, this, I'm sure many of you are familiar with what it means. It's coming into as direct 
naked as possible contact with the actual experience of bodily life. What does it actually feel like? Not my images, not the veil of concepts and conceptions and uh, preconceived ideas. What does it actually feel to touch the life of the body directly? So there's a huge emphasis on that as the, as the basis. And this does give a real grounding to the life and to our, our uh, sense of practice our, and also very much a foundation for exploring, of course, the body but also the mind and the heart. So what do we begin to see when we turn this bare attention uh, to explore the body? What, what begins to reveal itself? A whole world begins to open up. Uh, we, we feel heat, warmth, cold, very direct, very simple, very naked, tingling, vibrating, pressure in certain areas, lightness, movements of energy, sense of contraction, expansion, a sense of fluidity, a sense of space, all, all this in the bare attention to the life of the body. The more we pay attention on this level to the life of the body, the more the life of the body in a way comes alive for us. It comes alive. And of course, of course, when we pay attention to the body, there are areas that are uh, lacking in sensation, we can't feel anything, they're a bit numb. Of course, we don't have to pathologize that. And just because there's no sensation in a certain area, it means, again, we're repressed or something, something. Don't have to, don't have to go there. And the more we pay attention, just the more that the body becomes alive. And if a certain area feels like there's no sensation or it's numb, whatever, just how does it feel there? How does that feel? Just a gentle attention brings life to the, to the sense of the body. And we can become extremely sensitive with, with all this. And the body a very sensitive um, tool of response, really. So picking up and any sound, actually, is, uh, can be felt reverberating through the body. Certainly when the, when the rooks are going, you can sometimes feel it's just ricocheting in the body, in the stillness. But actually any sound can develop this sensitivity. Often, of course, when we come to meditation practice and retreat, uh, what we encounter, what we encounter in the sitting and walking, sitting, walking, standing, sitting, walking, etc., is is difficult body sensations, is pain, discomfort. So I want to say a little bit about working with difficult body uh, sensations. First thing to say is, it's not an endurance test. So there's no medals given out for meditative machismo or, or whatever. It's just not about that. Uh, can we explore uh, with kindness the difficult aspects of having a body? Because to have a body, to be human, means that at times we will have discomfort, we will have pain. No question about it. It's part of life. It's part of having a body. Are we willing to explore that and not just react to pain as something we need to flee from? Can we explore one's, our edges in practice? And being willing to do that with kindness, with curiosity, and when it's too much, to change the posture, just to change, slowly, mindfully. And that's part of the meditation, just to realize, how does it feel? 
when it was uncomfortable, painful, and one changes slowly, and there's the relief, and there's the change of sensations, all that in mindfulness. So how can we explore the difficult there? First thing we often notice, when there's difficult sensations in the body, say in the hips or the knees or the back or wherever it is, what we notice very often is the rest of the body tensing and recoiling. You can actually pick up in the body awareness this, this um, resistance and tension to the pain. So the first uh, port of call is to see if we can just relax the rest of the body just as much as we can. Just Can it be relaxed a little? Is it then possible yeah, to give mindfulness to the discomfort uh, and go underneath the label, this bare attention, underneath the label of pain? So pain is a word that we slap onto things and then we run away, often. Can we go underneath that label and see what's there? So itching is quite a good one, an uh, interesting one. Usually we're not going to die of an itch. Uh, and it's quite a curious thing, an itch. What is an itch? Do we hang out long enough and actually put the awareness there? What is that? It's a very odd thing. Can we explore that? And the tendency is just to want to scratch it and get rid of it. What if we don't and just explore what the actual experience of an itch is? And working with discomfort can we, and pain, can we notice its edges? Are they very abrupt edges, or do they, does the pain kind of uh, taper off gradually over an area in the body? To remind ourselves that pain, it can, when it's very strong, can feel like it takes up the whole of our experience. But check, there's probably some areas of the body that are not in pain. If your knee hurts and it seems to be taking up everything, check out your nose or the ears. Are they okay? Your hands are often quite a safe area just to remind oneself it's not everything. When we're working with pain, we can work uh, with the awareness in a very microscopic way. So literally putting the painful sensations under a microscope, really diving the attention in there to, to see, see the fabric, the very fabric of the experience. As close as we can, as detailed as we can. That's one mode of using the awareness. Very, very helpful can be. Another mode, equally helpful, is in a sense the opposite. It's as if looking at experience under a wide-angle lens, really opening up to a very spacious sense of awareness. And within that space, the pain in the body is just one part of the space. It's not taking up everything. In a way, it relativizes it a little bit. Spacious awareness can be very helpful also because within that space, within that wider space, we can begin to become sensitive to the deeper aspects of our relationship with the pain. Generally, when there's pain, there's aversion. Want to get rid of it, want it, want it to go away, want to flee it, want to push it away, aversion. Something about that spaciousness begins to reveal the aversion in all its... Uh, actually varying levels of subtlety and we be can begin to work with it and just relax the aversion just relax the aversion relax the aversion relax that pushing away very very profound avenue of practice ok 
Okay, so there's working with difficulty and pain, and that's very much a part of what it is to be a human being, and as many of you know, it's very much a part of what it is to be a meditator. But actually, there is also pleasant, pleasant sensation in the body. There is comfort in the body. This is actually very important to stress this. I'm going to talk about it a little bit. When it's there, if it's there, to enjoy it, okay? To enjoy it, to open to it, to explore it, okay? Usually we hear, oh, don't go near that because you might get attached or whatever. I say enjoy it, open to it, explore it we can actually learn to feel, we can learn to feel more often comfort, well-being, peace, pleasure in the body. We can learn to feel that. And so certainly there, I, I feel there's a real place for qigong and, and yoga and whatever, whatever other kind of, whatever helps for us to learn to feel that comfort and well-being and pleasure in the body. So th- I'm on another avenue now. Not all of you will want to pick this up, this retreat, but maybe just hear it and file it away, and for others it will be more relevant for this retreat. But this is important. We can learn to feel pleasure in the body, deep comfort, deep sense of well-being. It's a skill, and we can learn it. Y- you know, sometimes we... We wonder why why are we so alienated, you know, so much of the time from our body? Part of it is because we haven't learnt to develop this sense of deep comfort in the body. So it's not a place we actually want to go much. And we go out for the sense of comfort or to more superficial sources of comfort. And again, the opposite is also true, this mutual causality. Uh, Oftentimes it's the very disconnection and alienation from the body that prevents us developing a sense of well-being in the body. So some of you will be doing the metta practice, uh, or the Brahma-Vihara practice on this retreat, loving-kindness. If, if you are, please, please remember that the body sense is at the center of that practice. So the, the Buddha says, sensitive to the whole body, of course we use the phrases and all that and maybe visualize another person but stay sensitive to the body sense it's very important and sometimes within that there is a feeling of warmth, of love, of kindness we want to feel that when it's there and even when it's not to stay sensitive to the body sense in the the Buddha's words sensitive to the whole body and so when there is a feeling of metta, if you're doing the metta practice, when there is that feeling that it can't be there all the time, to really make sure you feel that and bathe your body in it or feel it radiating out from the body and bathing your own body on the way out. Really part of what deepens the, the metta practice. And similarly with the breath, learning, learning to do this. The Buddha says, sensitive to the whole body, the next thing he says is, learning to breathe in and breathe out sensitive to rapture this is in, in when he's talking about mindfulness of the body he's actually saying this and rapture is kind of a loaded word and it can mean something very extreme but it can also mean just this quiet sense of comfort nothing too remarkable sense of well-being can we learn at some point in our practice to breathe 
to do the metta, or just to develop this sensitivity to well-being, to comfort, to ease in the body. It's a skill and it's there. And actually, is it that far away? Is it that far away for us? Is it that far-fetched? It can seem it, and I know this is the second day of a retreat, it can seem it, but I wonder actually if it is that far away. the sense of the body, the experience of the body, can never be for us separate from our perception of it. It can never be then separate from our mind and heart, from the way we are looking for it. In, in a way this is obvious, but actually this is extremely uh, significant. The experience, the sense of the body, is never separate from our perception of it. And as I'm saying, we can learn, I'm just talking about one avenue that we can explore, so it's a possibility. We can learn to perceive peace and well-being more often in the body. And this is something we can play with perception. So sometimes we're in meditation, sitting, walking, standing, whatever it is, and there is tension or discomfort in the body or pain. What if we play with the perception? You can imagine just kind of chopping it up, dicing it up like you dice, I don't know, a potato in the kitchen or something, or carrots. <laughs> Just dice it up in the mind. What happens then? What happens? In a way, the, the, the perception that we have of the body, if we're just with this sensation, the, the life of the body, this energy field of perception, if we really pay attention, there are actually frequencies of, I don't know what to call it, frequencies of energy sort of there they're, they're coexisting oftentimes we get drawn into the frequency of pain but actually there are other frequencies existing at the same time please at some point in, in, in your life do explore this because it's, it's uh, uh, extremely fruitful it doesn't have to be on this retreat there are frequencies in the body energy perception and we can learn to tune in to the pleasant ones. We can learn to, to go deeper and deeper into that pleasure, that well-being. So all I want to say for now, for those who are not going to pick this up and that's completely valid not to pick it up on this retreat, just to know that that's a possibility at some point. Just that much, just to know it's a possibility. This idea of bare attention that is so in a way so common in insight meditation, bare attention, is actually not a phrase, not a concept that the Buddha ever used. There's no place in his shelf full of discourses where, where you can find the phrase bare attention. Now, that doesn't mean that it's not extremely useful. It's extremely useful as, as an avenue into insight meditation. But the actual deeper truth of it is that perception is malleable. Perception is malleable. It's shapeable. We can learn to play with perception and shape it. So there is this notion, uh, particularly in, in this tradition, insight meditation, of mindfulness, bare attention, just being with the actuality of things. Beautiful, extremely fruitful, profound, wonderfully liberating to a certain extent. The actual truth is that perception is malleable. There is no actuality of things independent of this process of perception. 
I'm aware, some of you may be listening to this and it's like, okay, I can see that. It's actually, I don't know how to put it, but it's in a way a bigger deal than it might first seem. And we, it's something we need to see over and over. There's a tremendous amount there. The Buddha said, if you understand perception completely, that's complete liberation. That's, that's an arahant. There's something very, very deep here, very, very profound. So, anyway, most of the time, per- perhaps, uh, or rather often, we are sitting, walking, standing in meditation, and actually there's nothing very particularly dramatic or strong going on in the experience. Does that mean that the bodily life is not interesting? Is that what happens then? This mindfulness of the body is, is an extremely deep resource for us. Extremely deep. It's easy to overlook it. short time after the Buddha died, and uh, his, one of his chief disciples, Sariputra, had died a little while before the Buddha. And then Ananda, the Buddha's cousin and attendant, who had been with the Buddha for years, decades, looking after him and being right at his side, said to himself, what to do now? The master is gone. The friend is gone too. Sariputta, the friend. What to do? And he says, ah, and this this word in, in Pali, kayagasati, ah, kayagasati. It means mindfulness immersed in the body. So immersed in this field of awareness, this field of energy, of perception. Mindfulness immersed in that. He knew what a deep resource it was. Ah, kayagasati, that's my resource. So whether it's pleasure, whether it's uh, unpleasant, whether it's ne- neither, this mindfulness of the body. And we're really, uh, in our life and in our, of course, in, in spiritual life, in our life in general, we need to take care of the body. Absolutely we do. Of course we do when there's illness, when there's sickness. We need to take care of the body. But just as significantly, in some cases more significantly, are we taking care of the relationship with the body? So yes, we take care of the body. Are we taking care of the relationship too? And this is particularly uh, for those, and I know there are some here, who suffer from chronic illness, an illness that just doesn't seem to go away. And I know from experience what, what that's like for myself. And I remember years ago, in a period of uh, suffering intermittently from and this chronic illness. Years ago, I remember being at home and uh, in, in a period where, where there was uh, active, quite active illness and being unable to sleep and the discomfort and the agitation in the body and then just getting out of bed, uh, you know, in the middle of the night, really, and sitting, just sitting, meditating and bringing, uh, immersing the mindfulness in the body, working with, with the letting go of the aversion, letting, relaxing that pushing away, just over and over, opening, relaxing the pushing, relaxing the aversion. And something, something begins to change and the whole sense of the body, the whole sense of the illness be- can begin to change. Very, very beautiful. The body just sitting there in, in the silence, in the, in the stillness of the, of the night, open, connected, just the, the body there in, in silence, in, in this quality of mercy, a real tenderness washing through the whole experience. 
And out of that, and whether we're ill or not, or whatever it is, out of that can, can come this real sense of bowing, reverence, even joy. And there's this opening to the body, to the life of the body, that's not dependent on pleasure there. It's not dependent on feeling pleasure. Not dependent on getting rid of pain. Not dependent on fixing the body in any way. I sometimes say to people, you kind of know when you're sort of hooked on meditation, when the idea of a good evening's entertainment is sitting at home watching the pain in your knees. Uh, Anyway. Whatever the sensations, we can find, or can we find an opening to it, find a relationship to it, that somehow there is beauty in that, even if it's difficult. There's a real sense of beauty in it sense of the mystery of it. Mystery of our life. This is our life. These sim- what else is my life? I have these ideas about what my life is. My life is the most basic thing on one level. A sense of that immediacy and mystery and that beauty. So there's working with the unpleasant and with the pleasant and the discomfort and, and loveliness in the body. Whatever is going on in the body, one of the avenues that's really important uh, or possible for us to explore is this noticing of change, noticing of impermanence. And so, again, but going back to the beginning, deliberately taking up one's theme. We can deliberately take up change and impermanence as a theme in our meditation. Deliberately. And begin to notice when we when we turn that mindfulness on the body, flickering, changing, dancing, throbbing, pulsating, constantly moving. Begin to tune into that over and over, this change, this impermanence. Especially if there's difficult sensations, it can be very skillful to, to work with this impermanence. There is another way of working with impermanence which I, I find sometimes very powerful and it's more to do with the contemplation of death and impermanence in that way. And this is not morbid or doesn't have to be morbid. And a sense of sitting, walking, standing, being in the body in this, this moment of the body sensation is in the context of our death. It's in the context of vast uh, we could say vast expanses of time, billions of years the universe is old, billions of years the universe will last. Our life, what, 50, 70, 90, 100 years, tiny, tiny in the vastness of that time, tiny in the vastness of that space. Can we actually bring this in, into our reflections, into our relationship with the body? So it's not just this micro moment-to-moment impermanence that we're, we're noticing. It's actually the actual experience, even now, this moment. This moment is in the context of our death. It's in the context of the vastness of time. And actually, nowhere in the universe can we find anything that lasts. Not uh, bodies, certainly not. Not galaxies or super clusters of galaxies or super super clusters you know 
and not the tiniest atomic particles cannot be found something that is not subject to change can we begin to contemplate this deliberately so there's the contemplation of change and one of the three characteristics anicca, change, impermanence second one of the three characteristics the Buddha said contemplate this contemplate it look at it see it deliberately second one is dukkha which is a hard one to translate it's unsatisfactoriness so basically speaking this body will let you down it's going to let us down there's no question about it it will let you down and Yes, there is a tremendous amount of pleasure to be had in the body. A tremendous sense of beauty at all levels, you know, superficial beauty and very deep sense of beauty in the body. Joy in the body, all of that. And the body will let you down. The body will let us down. Can we hold that paradox in a way? So typically, as human beings, we get drawn in, we get pulled in to a relationship with the body that's actually not helpful. It's not helpful. We get caught up in unskillful ways of relating to the body around appearance, around whatever it is. And they're not helpful. And this is just normal for human beings. Can we learn to develop relationships with the body that dissolve, decrease our suffering in relationship to the body. Basically our life depends on it. The quality of our life depends on it. It's actually that simple. And we keep getting pulled into these unskillful relationships all kinds of ways. And they do have some, you know, there is some hit to them. Someone says, uh, you know, says, oh, uh, how old are you? And they say an age and it's two years younger than you actually are. And you think, oh, <laughs> big deal you know it feels okay it feels good but how good can we work on relationships developing relationship with a body that actually decrease suffering so there's anicca dukkha this unsatisfactoriness the last of the three characteristics anatta not self this body is not me not mine it's not self You have to tread a little bit carefully here. Again, all of this is a kind of balance in practice, a paradox. So I, I think there is a real place for this sense of preciousness, of love of one's own body. This is my body, my the, a unique manifestation in the universe. And like it or not, there's never been a body like this before. <laughs> uh, Something in that uniqueness can, can get a sense of my unique body, the gratitude, the wonder, the love. How often do we touch ourselves with real, with real tenderness? This is, there's, there's only this. This is what I have. And it's me, in, in a way, at one level. It's me. My body, unique. And, at the same time, it's not self not me, not mine, it's anatta, the Buddha said. So how is it anatta, how is it not self? It's not controllable. I can't say to the body, don't get ill. I can't say, don't age. I certainly can't say, don't die. You know, there's 
uh, a lot of effort and money in, in the culture obviously going into preventing two out of those three, well, I mean three out of those three, but uh, it's futile. It's futile. Body is uncontrollable. We have a certain amount of control, but fundamentally it's not self and therefore not controllable. We can't say it's self. Ramana Maharshi, one of the great Indian sages of the, of the first half of the 20th century, he said, trying to find liberation or seeking liberation while being identified with the body is like trying to cross a river on the back of an alligator. It's not a very good idea. It's not, it's not really. It's not going to work very well. The Buddha has this. There's this word in Pali. Patinasaga, patinasaga, and it's a funny word. It means throwing back or giving back, throwing back, giving back, and to contemplate that in in the meditation. Can we sit there in the stillness of meditation with the life of the body and the sensations of the body and the breath coming in and out and actually just give it back, give it back to the universe, give it back to the nature, throw it back. Can we see the body belongs to nature, it came from nature, sure as hell is going back there. It belongs to nature, it's not my own. And actually sit in the meditation, walk, stand, whatever it is, and give it back, literally give it back. It doesn't belong to me, it belongs to nature. Give back the sensations. Let them, let the universe own them. Let nature own them. And the form of the body, give it back. Can we contemplate in our practice this fact of the body coming from nature and returning to nature. Contemplate that in a way that actually somehow the heart is opened and touched by that. Not that it's cold or nihilistic or or even scary. It's just somehow the heart is actually touched and open and we get a sense of the freedom there. So we do tend to identify with the body. It's very, it's extremely normal. I am an ill person if there's long, long illness. I am young, I am old, I am aging, I am ugly, I am beautiful, I am plain, I am this or that. Can we learn, can we develop as a practice this more and more, this lessening of the identification, non-identification. So I really want to stress, this is a practice. We practice letting go of identification. The habitual mode of human consciousness is to identify with the body. Basic, normal mode of human consciousness. Can we practice, develop a mode of seeing the body, a mode of relating to the body, where we're actually developing less identification, letting go of identification? Yes, we can. <laughs> As we do that, one of the things that happens is that the senses and perceptions of duality in relationship to the body begin to decrease. What do I mean by this? The sense of illness and health, age, youth, da-da-da-da-da, begin to decrease because we're not um, strengthening them through identification. 
we're not um, making them more prominent stand out, to stand out more through identification. So sometimes can be, as I mentioned, sitting with illness or ill health or, or discomfort and uh, letting go of this aversion, letting go of identification. And actually one feels after a certain time, I can't find the illness. I can't find it. I look for it. When I look for it, I can't find it. I cannot find it. As I said, with all respect to those who... who uh, are ill or suffering illness. When I look for it, I cannot find it. And sometimes, ill or not, when sitting in meditation, there's a certain calmness that opens, and the mindfulness is permeating the body, filling the body, this kayagasati, mindfulness, immersed and filling the body. And in the stillness can begin to happen at the very, uh, for dedicated practitioners, the boundaries of the body can begin to dissolve. So I'm not sure, sitting there in, in the body and not really sure where the body ends. And the form of the body begins to get very um, amorphous or very spacious even. Like there's nothing there but space or just the dance of sensations appearing, disappearing. The whole form seems to have dissolved a little bit. Can be, can be in that sense... Again, I'm just pointing at possibilities here, just pointing at some possibilities. can be in that sense that because the body boundaries have dissolved a little bit, comes a sense of oneness, sense of oneness. Where do I end and you begin? Where do I end and the rest of the universe begin? And a sense of oneness begins again to wash through the experience. And if this ha- this can happen over and over for a person in meditation, and begin to wonder well, what is the body? Where is the body? Noticing the perception changes. Can this perception change in a way that again that the heart is actually touched and opened? And one might see over and over that the perception changing. If it's changing, if it changes enough, a person can begun, begin to wonder, well, which is the real perception of the body? Which is the ultimately real perception of the body? And actually, see, there is no ultimately real perception of the body. The Buddha once said, what is this body that we experience? And he said, the body is a point of contraction. It's a very odd-sounding phrase, but it's actually (laughs) worth reflecting on. The body is a point of contraction, one of his more cryptic sayings. Can we feel, if, if, you know, in our practice, in our life of practice, if there is this dissolving of the body to some degree, can we feel the freedom of the non-limitation in that? It's important to feel that freedom. We can... Certainly in meditation this this kind of thing can happen. We can also reflect on it more consciously. So we're walking outside or standing outside or going for a walk or whatever it is. Begin to reflect on the elements. Earth, air, fire, water. We pass a puddle on on the lane or whatever, or it's raining. Is that water element so different from the tears or or the urine or, or the sweat? See, water, water, inside, outside, same cycles of nature 
or the air, we just breathe it in and breathe it out, and the trees are breathing in and breathing out. When does the air become me? Heat, inside, outside. It's the elements, there's this um, permeability of the body. And the earth, is it really this solidity? Is it really different from this solidity? It's the same, at one level it's the same. Or you eat some soup, soup's you know, kind of a fluid food. At one point does the soup become me and my body? Or the, 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 the sacred food of porridge, which seems to be a staple for all retreat centers I've ever been to. Uh, the retreat breakfast, when does, you know, it's kind of slimy, gungy, <laughs> fluidy food. When does that become me in the intestines? It's permeating through the walls. Or you could reflect, here's this body. If I chop off my foot, is it still a body that's left? Okay, I'll chop off the other foot. I'll chop off a leg. I'll chop off an arm. How much can I chop off and we still look at it and call it a body? Body is a convention. It's a, it's a, we can't actually find the body, even intellectually. And we begin to experience this in meditation too. So we say in Dharma language, we say the body is empty. It's empty of inherent existence. Listen to this from, from the Buddha. Suppose that a large glob of foam were floating down the river Ganges. And someone with good eyesight were to see it, observe it, and appropriately examine it. To them, seeing it, observing it, and appropriately examining it, it would appear empty, void, without substance. For what substance would there be in a glob of foam? In the same way, a practitioner sees, observes, and appropriately examines any form, any body in inner any form that is past, future, or present, internal or external, blatant or subtle, so any sense of the subtlety of the body or or grossness of the body, blatant or subtle, common or sublime, far or near, sees, observes, and appropriately examines any form. To them, seeing it, observing it and appropriately examining it, it would appear empty, void, without substance. For what substance would there be in form? And another beautiful quote from the Buddha in in a similar vein. Knowing this body is like foam, same metaphor, knowing this body is like foam, Realizing its nature, a mirage, cutting off the blossoms of Mara. You go where the king of death cannot see. Knowing this body is like foam, realizing its nature, a mirage, cutting off the blossoms of Mara. You go where the king of death cannot see. This body 
is, as the Buddha said right from the beginning, subject to aging, sickness and death. Fundamental. That's the experience that we typically have of the body, subject to aging, sickness and death. How are we in our lives with aging, sickness and death? How are they for us when there is identification with the body? How, you know, if we're young, they can seem a little bit abstract or theoretical, but aging, sickness, death. We are, as one teacher in, in Thailand, Ajahn Buddhadasa, you say, brothers and sisters in aging, sickness, and death. He would start talks that way, and they would all be like, <laughs> <laughs> but this is the fun, this is a fundamental truth of our life. How are aging, sickness, and death fundamental to our life when we identify with the body? Not good. Not nice. Not pretty. Dukkha, suffering, painful, scary. How are we with aging, sickness, and death if we do not know that which is not subject to aging, sickness, and death? That is deathless. How is aging, sickness, and death, how is it for us when we do not know that which is deathless, not subject to aging, sickness, and death? Very, very different. Very, very different. The more we identify with the body, or put it another way, it's identification with the body that is part of what prevents us seeing the deathless and knowing the deathless, realizing the deathless, realizing that which is not subject to death, that which is transcending of death, transcending of our life, transcending act of time. It's partly our identification that blocks that seeing. And we become partly through this identification, we become mesmerized, totally mesmerized and entranced with the dualities that the body seems to hold. Health and sickness and aging and youth and uh, pleasure and pain and and beauty and non-beauty or ugliness or whatever. We become completely uh, wrapped up in that and it closes our seeing. Can we learn, this is what practice offers us, can we learn to see differently? To to me that's what insight meditation is, it's learning to see differently, practicing learning to see differently. Can 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 we all learn to see differently so that we are less or not under the spell of these dualities and appearances? And the less we are under that spell, the more freedom there is. So the Buddha said, when he talks about mindfulness of the body, he says unequivocally, and he says, this leads to the realization of the deathless. Mindfulness of the body, when pursued, when developed, these are his very words, leads a person to realization of the deathless. Realization of that which is beyond all this beyond time, beyond life, beyond death, which can then, in a way, shine through our life, permeate through our life, and change the relationship. 
with aging, sickness and death and all the rest of it. So that's there, and the Buddha's saying right from the first, that's there. In a way, um, we decide what we want from practice. We decide how much freedom we want. That's up to us. And it's, you know, it's all there in the Dharma. We can decide we want some degree of freedom with the body, less painful relationship with myself, with the body. It's all the way, and the current of the Dharma goes uh, all, all the way through. It's all good. We can decide that. How much freedom do we want? And it's up to each of us to say that, but it's all there in the Dharma. All there in the flow, in the current of the Dharma. I think, was it Christina who said in the opening talk, the Buddha, the Dharma has one taste, just as the great ocean has just one taste, the taste of salt. So the Dharma has one taste, and one taste only, the taste of liberation. And we kind of decide where we, where we get off there, and it's, it's fine. We can have a bit more freedom, a bit more openness with the body, a bit less pressure, or more and more and more and more. Whatever it is, we decide these are the, some of the possible avenues that are available to us. As I said, in terms of insight meditation, we can um, be with the breath or the metta, whatever it is, and then just go out to what seems like it's insistently calling, if the body is insistently calling, just to explore that. Or, when there's some calmness, just um, deliberately letting the breath go, letting the metta go, and going out to investigate the body, the life of the body some of these ways. Okay. Shall we have a couple of quiet minutes together? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.